I want to start out by, I had done this quote years ago, a guy by the name of George Williams writes this about the book of Jonah. He says, the book of Jonah is unique in that it is more concerned with the prophet himself than with his prophecy. The condition of his soul and God's loving discipline of him instruct and humble the reader. And I thought that was an interesting quote. I kept it in my files. Um, you know, at first when I read that, I thought, wait a minute, he's more concerned about the prophet. But if you look, we'll find out later in this book the care that God gives to this prophet, even though he's upset at the mercy of God on a Gentile, cruel nation. But that's the love of God. You know, uh, I don't understand how God can love rootless, evil people. You know, but we're brought up that way, isn't it? Isn't that just the way that I know I was brought up? You know, that to be decent, to be kind, and um, you don't want to associate with people that aren't that way, and so forth. And it kind of gets ingrained, and then all of a sudden you meet the God of the Bible, and you think, "Wow, wait a minute!" You know, God doesn't grain on a curve. God doesn't grain on a, on a on a system. One, like we said before, uh, I'm not. You know, I'm 95 percent good, but what was you? You might be 60 percent good. You know, I'm a little bit better. And so we think that God tends to think that way. God doesn't think that way. God's not a respecter of persons. If you fall short of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're a sinner. We're all fall short. I don't care whether human attainment wants to make a a scale. God knows no no such thing. And I think that when we look at Jonah, um, there's a little bit of that in all of us. And, and uh, you know, God is so merciful. Why aren't we more thankful people? Why don't we have more of a life of absolute thankfulness? You know, I was telling my wife the other day, maybe even today, you know. I have good news and I have bad news. Well, bad news was some, you know, whatever. What's the good news? The good news is I'm all right with it. I want to be a thankful person, and I can be. I'm the one that inhibits myself on that aspect because I'm not standing firmly on God's promises. When we aren't thankful, we are not standing firm on God's promises. That's not my understanding. That's the Word of God's understanding. Think about that statement. If we are not thankful people, we are not standing on God's word alone. Because we have everything to be rejoicing people at all times. Always filled with thanksgiving. Jonah, wow. Jesus said, all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. That statement alone makes the book of Jonah come alive, as well as all the other prophets. Jesus said, the things that were fulfilled in me, all things were written in the law of Moses and the Psalms and the prophets. That takes up the whole Old Testament, the law, the Psalms, and the prophets. You know? We look at where was Jonah. We want to give us a little bit of history before we get into this book. Jonah, where was he supposed to go? He was supposed to go to a place called Nineveh. It was the capital of Assyria. It was founded by a man named Nimrod. And we'll find that in Genesis 10. Nimrod. Mighty man, mighty hunter, mighty warrior. Nimrod. Get a chance to read Genesis 10 and find out about him. This empire here, this this. This Assyrian Empire, this Nineveh, stood for 300 years. Wow, 300 years. America's not that old. It was brutally cruel. Some of their inscriptions that were found, that were recently found, actually, recently, years back, by archaeology, have recount in their uh, the accounts of this, uh, especially Nineveh and the surrounding area, uh, they would flay their enemies to death. That's cruel. That's wicked. Flay them to death, as the fishermen would flay a salmon or something. You know. Um, I found a few other ones that are just too. Uh, 
It's not profitable. They were very cruel people. They made heaps. Uh, they made heaps monuments out of their skulls and other vicious acts of cruelty. These are the people that God had sent Jonah to. They were experiencing prosperity at this time. You know, God. A lot of people think, well, if if a society in whole is reaping benefits, God must be pleased with them. God must be, you know, the goodness of God leads thee to repentance. People don't understand that, you know. God proves both ways, you know. Goodness leads to repentance, but yet when there's a cruel nation, a lot of times God will withhold judgment for only His reasons. But nonetheless, Judgment is being held back until the cup is full, and we're going to see when we get to prophet Nahum, boy, their cup overflowed, and God wiped them out. History reveals that. They were vicious. We're also going to see in Matthew 12, as we go on, Jesus used this prophet as a sign of his death, burial, and resurrection. We're going to read the whole account here later on in Matthew 12 with that. There's something greater here, he said, than Jonah. Wow. <clears throat> the prophets. You know, and I can't, I, I, I just really am spellbound when I think that the Lord Jesus Christ caused the pen of these prophets to flow about him. You know? And uh, not only were the men on the boats in boat several times in the Sea of Galilee, they were amazed and they fell down. They said, look, even the wind and the sea obey him. Who is he? You've never seen this before. It was some, That's what God does when he enters the soul. It is, uh, you are never at ease. You are never uh, relaxed. You are never saying, wow, you know, yeah, that's God. Well, you are always captivated by this one who transcends time and space. We see that in this prophet. We also see that Jonah is also a great commentary in Romans chapter 3, especially verse 29, where it says, Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, the Gentiles also. And it's because of the Jews that Gentiles be saved. We see that in Romans 11. Think about that. God sends a Jewish prophet to a Gentile, a heathen nation, a vicious nation. It's interesting to me that the, the, the gospel comes to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. You know, and how Paul says, you know what? Hey, you judge yourself worthy of, of eternal life? I now go into the Gentiles, they will listen. You know, you can trace God's understanding and His mercy upon the Gentiles, but His mercy first is is the product of His covenant people. We saw again Abram, and we see how God through him made made promises that will not go away. They are everlasting promises, not only of the land, but of the Messiah. The Messiah came out of the Jews. The Scripture came from the Jews. The promises of eternal life. Through the, the covenant we made with Abraham, the root came from the Jews. And yet how God meticulously does not leave the Gentiles with an excuse. I love that. We'll see this in Jonah as well. All comes from this prophet. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh. That great city and crowd against it for their wickedness has come up before me. You know, when that, when that term has come up before me, the, the wickedness has gotten God's attention. And without being political and just saying one thing, I think that this country has gotten God's attention. I'm sorry. You know, um, it has. He wants him to go. First of all, I want to give, before we go on, and I'll read this in context, are we willing to go where God has called us? We're going to see that it does no good to run away from God. It does no good. 
Some of us have been trying, have been doing that. It's time to stop. Arise and go to Nineveh, verse 2, that great city crowd against it, for the wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten a load. Listen to this. But Jonah had gone down to the lowest parts of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Wow. He was fast asleep. Let me read a few more verses and we'll get into to our texture. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for certain, or excuse me, that we may know whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. You know, the Bible says that the lots cease contentions of men. You know? You have men quarreling and everything. A lot cast on whoever it falls to causes the, 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 the contentions, if you will, to cease the striving. That's what happened. Wow. Verse 8, they said, And please tell us, for what cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and what people are you? Of what people? Verse 9, so he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the Lord of the God of heaven, who made sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. That's why. You know, when we sin, we affect everyone around us. You know, and without, I'm not spiritualizing the text, but we, we need to understand that the Bible is full of the fact that when we sin, it affects those around us. Don't think that you can hide in, on, in your inner room on the internet, or don't think that you can hide in the recess of your mind and plan evil or, or do wrong and not affect anybody. It affects people. If you're married, it affects your partner. I don't care. You can call it a secret sin and nobody will know but you, but your sin will find you out. It will affect your partner. It will ruin your marriage. It will seep in and ruin your marriage. It will seep in and ruin your family. Your finances will crumble. Whatever it takes, your sin will find you out. And it affects people. You know? There is no such thing as a secret sin. David thought he had a secret sin, didn't he? Nobody will find out. Hey, in fact, I'm the king. I can have a man killed for, for spying in on me. Nobody will find out. And then when he tried to hide his secret sin, it came out, didn't it? And it affected people. Murder and shame, liability, loss of victory, loss of triumph. God was blasphemed because of his sin. Whenever we disobey God and don't go in the same course that God has sent us to, whether it's in ministry or whether it's to somebody or whether it's, it's how you deal with your normal life, somebody is going to fall and be hurt because of your sin. I don't want to cause people to stumble. I don't want to cause people to get hurt. I don't want to cause... I want to, I want to bring healing to people. I want to bring encouragement. I want to bring growth. I want to bring the Word of God. I want to bring Jesus Christ. I want to bring God. Instead of fleeing from God, I want to bring Him. And that's what God wanted. Jonah, will you take my message to these people? 
And you know another thing too, you, you need to understand that not only the prophets, but we have the total covering of God. He goes with us everywhere we go. He's with us, protecting us, being there, guiding us, nourishing us. You know, the word of the Lord surrounds his people like the mountain surrounds Jerusalem. He's always there. So it's kind of fruitless for us to, to run off or to hide or, or, or say, well, you know what, I, if I just forget about it, it'll go away. It won't go away. It's like a bad tooth. That's what sin is. It just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And the pain starts nagging you, and he starts nagging you. And then you become like David said, I couldn't handle it anymore. He was pressing upon me so much that my vitality was gone. <coughs> That's what sin does. And Jonah here was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. He knew what God wanted him to do. We're going to have an interesting when we look at Joppa, okay? We, you, know, you, you know Joppa, remember? Peter went down to Joppa. And, and Simon the Tanner, he was staying with them, remember? And Cornelius, in, that, in, in Acts chapter 10, God's, Cornelius sent men down to get Simon, Peter, from, from down in Joppa. It's the same location. Remember what happened in Joppa? Before Peter actually went, Peter had a vision, remember? And the vision was of all kinds of animals and come down in a sheet. And the Lord said, Peter, come and eat. Peter says, no, Lord. Nuh-uh, nothing's ever entered my unclean under my lips. And God was saying, what I say is clean, it's clean. You do what I tell you to do. And that's what we're looking at here. Our God never changes. He's merciful. He's kind. We are not to lean on our own understanding and ask God, why, why do you want me to do this? Why do you ask me to do this? This doesn't stay... This just doesn't come to reason. Does God ever say, before you do my word, I want you to sit down and reason it out. If you come to a reason, then you can do it. No. He says, trust me, this is my word. I am the Lord. Do it. I'm with you. Just a little bit of understanding. You know, every time I read Jonah, I think of myself. Oh, there was so longer than my Christian life. I was so zealous for the things of God. I was so zealous for the Word, I couldn't get enough that I would sponge. But there was times in my life I knew that God had called me to do something, and I didn't do it. Whether, I, whether it was immaturity or whether it was, was uh, lack of proper, uh, I don't know what it was, but you need to realize that if God asks you to do something, He's going to be with you. Even when you stand before uh, mean men or men or anywhere you want, he said, don't even worry about what to say at that time. I'm going to give it to you. You know? Somebody comes up to your job and corners you. We're not to fret and wonder, what, you know, try to pull out all these scriptures. God even says he will give us what to say. He is always with us. His hand is always upon us. There's no need to run. It's a lack of understanding. They knew who he was. They knew what happened. The lot fell upon him. And Jonah probably was pressured into say, why this sea is the way it is, because I'm running from the God whom I serve. And they were angry with him. They were angry and afraid, verse 10. Let's go back in these couple first verses and see what we can, we can look at here. Again, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Call them to preach to a very Gentile, very cruel people. <laughs> a very Gentile and a very cruel people. <clears throat> that didn't sit well with Jonah. He says, I want you to rise, verse 2, and go to Nineveh, that great city. And cry out against it. For their wickedness has come up before me. <clears throat> you know, I love the fact that when Jesus went into the temple. Why did he go into the temple? He went twice, by the way. Two cleansings. But the scriptures record him going into the temple. Very specific reason why. And he, he tells you, you have made my house, which is called a house of prayer to all the nations, a den of thieves, of robbers, covetousness, extortion, if you will. 
but he was indignant for the things of the Lord. God was getting blasphemed. God was getting was getting ridiculed, if you will, by the very people who should have been revering him. But yet here, God does not, he hates sin and wickedness. And God even says, I want to send you to the city because the wickedness is coming up before me. That wouldn't even deter the prophet. Look at verse 3. Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Wow. I am so glad that I have the scriptures that will keep me from that fallacy. Are you serious? Flee from the presence of the Lord? Our God fills heaven and earth. There are the heavens upon the heavens, it says, not only First Kings, but elsewhere, can't even contain him. He spreads out the heavens as a curtain so that he may dwell therein. David says, his hand is, is he's before me and behind me. His hand is laid upon me. I cannot think of these things. We talked about that last week. Flee from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare. You know, a lot of people will pay whatever it takes to get away from, from doing what they know what to do. And he went down into it. Went to them with Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. A gentleman by the name of H.C. Woodring. Now listen to this. God wanted Jonah to go to Nineveh, 500 miles northwest of Canaan or Palestine. Instead of going east, Jonah went 2,000 miles to the west. You know, most court of laws look at look at uh, look at crimes or heinous crimes. A lot of people get caught. You know, they get caught because they they overkill, they override. I think this was a little bit of that case. So God wanted to go to Nineveh, which is five miles again northwest of, of Palestine or, or, or the land of Canaan. Instead of going east, again, John went two thousand miles to the west. God wished Jonah to take an overland trip via the Fertile Crescent, but instead he took a tasteful sea voyage. You know, the Jews at that time typically hated the sea. God sent him to the greatest metropolis of that day. Instead, Jonah headed for a remote trading post on the fringes of civilization. The Lord wished to go with his prophet. Instead, Jonah tried to flee from the presence and power of God. Again, Psalm 139, where can I go from thy spirit? Where can I flee from thy presence? If I dwell in a remote part of the sea, even there thy hand will lead me, and the right hand will lay hold upon me. That's foolish. You know what I, what I uh, love about God? You know, in human reasoning, we would have said, hey, I'm done with this. I'm done with this, this prophet. I want to get somebody in there that's going to do the job. I want to get somebody in there that's going to, that's going to mind. And yet Jonah, in all his uh, is turning away and all he's trying to get away from the presence of God is one of the most attested to prophets of the New Testament by Jesus Christ himself. I think that's pretty interesting. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, verse 4. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. You know, I want to read a couple things. I, uh, you know, unless we, we, we just get so carried away in an actual story, you know, that's one thing I don't like about a lot of the Sunday schools that used to be around. They get so enamored in stories, and that's fine, but the stories seem to be stories as men grow, and they never seem to understand what's behind the stories. What's behind Jonah? What's behind knowing the ark? And so forth. Listen, to, listen to this. Remember we, we read in verse 4 again, the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea. There was a mighty tempest on the sea that said that the ship was about to be broken up. We need to understand that the Lord did this. Listen in uh, Psalm 107. Verses 23-29, let me just read these. And those who go down to the ship, sea and ships, who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep. 
for he commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves on the sea. They mount up to the heavens, they go down again to the depths, their soul melts because of trouble. They reel true and fro like and stagger like a drunken man, and at their wit's end. And they cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them out as their distress. He calms the storm so that its waves are still. Then they are glad because they are quiet, so he guides them to their desired haven. I want to read something to you that, that is, is not only parallel to this, but to show the majesty of our God. In Matthew chapter 8, starting verse 23, listen to this. Now when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him. Jesus got into a boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest rose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with waves. But he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, you little faith? And then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm, so that the men marveled, saying, Who can this be? Even the winds and the waves obey him. This is how, this is our God here. And we are thankful people. This is the same God in human flesh that demonstrated his absolute power over mastery that, that caused these, these prophets to pin his word. The word abounds with the majesty of God. Christ is in every page of the Bible. And our duty, our privilege is to find him there. And he is in miraculous ways that, that you wouldn't even think until you let the scriptures get into you and do their work. So he, he, the sea, he's in the ship. He knows he's running from the Lord. He goes down to the lower parts of the ship, probably if I can just hide, you know, if I can just hide and forget about this, nobody will see me and it'll be over with. God sees everything. I think that's the worst moment of a man's crisis when he tries to run from his sin and get away. Maybe I, if I just... Wait long enough, it'll go away. And it won't go away. God sees everything because He loves you. He's not going to let it go away. He's not going to let the sin fester. He's going to bring it to a head, and you, we must deal with it. Look at verse 5, Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God, and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down to the lowest parts of the ship and laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him, verse 6, and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? <laughs> I love that. What do you mean? What are you doing? Arise and call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may perish. Or so we may not perish, excuse me. You know, when we look at the writing of, of, these, of these prophets, um, in the language of, of God in, in the Old Testament, this verse 6 is speaking of the God of Israel, not the gods of the heathen that were on the boat. It's very interesting. Because those were not the gods of Jonah. The God of Israel who made heaven and earth. He was the God of Jonah. He was the one that was orchestrating it. He was the one that was saying, Jonah, you can't outrun me. Look at it. And they said one another, come, verse 7, let us cast lots. We may know for whose causes trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots and a lot fell on Jonah. You know, lots. Remember in Acts 1 with, with Matthias? Remember when Judas went and hung himself? Peter said, we need, we're, oh Lord God, you know those that have been in among you. Who will you choose to take the place of this one who left the ministry and hung himself? A lot fell on Matthias. Lots ends all dispute amongst men. They knew. And they said, please, verse 8, tell us, for whose, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? 
What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? You know, like I've said in, in Numbers uh, for chapter 32, verse 23, you can always remember that again. I had this drilled into me so much, I know it. 32 is the chapter, 23 is the verse. Just reverse them. 32, 23, one of the most amazing things in the Bible, which is a fact that runs all through the Bible from the fact of even before Adam and Eve and the thoroughs of time where uh, Lucifer fell to Adam and Eve to Cain to all the way through from the, 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 the Tower of Babel to the flood to all the judgments that are going to culminate on the end of the earth. Listen, you have sinned against the Lord. Be sure your sin will find you out. A lot of Christians don't know that. They go on and they think, well, you know what, it's just a, a little sin. Or it's just this and it's just that. Nobody really knows. There was a story of a pastor who, a uh, true story, who started out very innocently um, having a children's ministry. And he exceeded in the children's ministry and it got very big and very big and they started going on outings and stuff. And he started developing a, a liking for little children. But yet he was a pastor. You know, and he, he went to all the church functions and he, and he sat under the pastorate and all this stuff. But he, he didn't deal with it. And it got out of hand and it got out of hand. And finally it ended up to the point where the FBI went over to this pastor's house and found multitude of things on his computer of, of child pornography. He was that close to acting out what he, what he thought. And it started out in innocency. He spent years in prison. And his testimony was, it just started out innocent. It started out like just a thought. You must deal with it. And a Christian has no excuse. When, when sin enters in, we must deal with it. And when we do, we are saved from a multitude of sin. But nonetheless... Be sure your sin will find you out. It was sure finding Jonah out in a bad way. Can you imagine what he went through? God will do miraculous things to cure somebody. Let's read on to this. So they asked him, verse 8, all kinds of questions. I'm sure by now they're frantic. What are you? You're a foreigner. Who are you? Where are you? Who's your God? What do you do? What, why, why is this happening? We've never seen you before. In fact... Why were you asleep when everybody else was frantically throwing out, you know, the tackle and everything else to try and load, load the ship or what have you? Look at verse 9. He said to them, I am a Hebrew. I'm sure that didn't sit well. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. I'm sure he understood that Nehemiah, which penned one of the greatest things in Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 6, thou alone art God. Thou hast made the heavens and the heavens of heavens and all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. Thou dost give life to them all, and the heavenly host bows down and worships you. That's who I am. That's who I fear. And that's what he does, and that's who he is. Look at verse 10. Then the men were exceedingly afraid. And said to him, why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he told them. And they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more temptuous. What shall we do to you that the sea may grow calm for us? For the sea was growing temptuous. Wow. I'll bet it was. You know, when, when, when sin comes and it's not confessed, things are going to get worse and worse and worse. And they said to him again, what can we do to you? 
I like the word temptuous because it means it means a boiling, a continual, steadily boil. We have what it is is we have a uh, <laughs> what do you call those things? We have a boiling uh, thing. We make boil water at night for a tea, and it's awesome. I love to watch it, man. It's got this little blue light around it, you know. But what I love about it is that it starts boiling the water. And it starts boiling. It starts boiling. And it gets more. And the more that you know that it's boiling, it's getting... That's what temptuous means. It starts out and it keeps boiling up. And you can see that being afraid. And what are they doing? And that's what God does. Look at verse 12. When he said, Then pick me up and throw me into the sea, then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great temptus... Or, yeah, temptus is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. See what I'm saying? Grows more and more and more. Was God not in control? Yes, he was in control. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life. Do not charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. Now that's an interesting verse. All of a sudden these men are crying out to the Lord. So they picked up Jonah, verse 15, and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Again, Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 4, verse 41, simply says, even the wind and the sea obey him. Wow. The sea was calm. Look at what happened. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. You know, the things even that happen, God is going to bring glory upon himself. You know, Jonah, uh, the prophet here, will lose all of its energy, if you will, in the, in the prophetic account if we, miss, if we don't understand that it is not Jonah's trust or faithfulness or lack of it. It is God's. That brings him glory. And he's going to do whatever he can to bring that glory, whether he has to use a prophet that's unfaithful, a man or woman that's unfaithful, and yet that man or the woman, God will bring glory, and he can do that. He can separate the fact that he brings him glory, and he's going to bring us good. Look at verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. Okay, who prepared it? The Lord had prepared it for this reason. The, um, God knows the end from the beginning. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is a direct sign of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. <clears throat> Death, burial, and resurrection. You know, in Matthew's account, I want to read something. And this is Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. And we'll read, I'll read a few verses down. Some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. We want to see a sign from you. The world wants to see a sign, you know. But he answered and said to them, I'm in uh, Matthew chapter 12, we're taking notes, verse 38 and 39. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now, if you think about it for a while, before I go on, why does God concern himself with the sign of a wayward prophet? 
Because it is God who is preserving his prophet. It is God who is providing the miracle. It is God who is doing things. He raised the tempest on the sea. Jesus calmed the tempest on the sea. God fed his, his people in the wilderness manna. Jesus fed the people with the bread. God had Jonah in the heart of the belly of the well three days and three nights. God had Jesus in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. The fish vomited uh, Jonah out as a form of, of cause, a form of a resurrection. Jesus was raised from the dead. But let me go on and listen to this. See, we want to see a sign from you. An evil adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Again, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. How long will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth? Three days and three nights. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. Wow. Greater than Jonah is here. Nineveh is going to rise up and condemn it. Oh yes, Nineveh fell. And, and, uh, but if they also repented at this great, miraculous uh, deliverance of Jonah, if you will. The sea grew tempestuous. They throw Jonah out. Now all of a sudden, Jonah's in a predicament. God prepares a fish to swallow Jonah. Three days and three nights, he was in the belly of the whale. But you know what? Brethren, I want to also bring to your attention too, and I know that some of you think of these things, but some of you might not. Even as this great fish was prepared by God to swallow up Jonah, there's another remarkable place in the New Testament where Jesus, God in human flesh, did the same thing. And it's in Matthew chapter 17, remember this? He said to Peter, go to the sea and throw in a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for you and me. The same God who prepared the fish to swallow Jonah was the same God who prepared the fish to have the shekel for Peter to catch and take. You know, the Bible is so replete with, <laughs> with Jesus Christ being God in human flesh that it is just miraculously uh, abundant in the prophets. The same God that caused this fish is the same one. Can you imagine? That must have just buzzed Peter's senses. <laughs> I know it would have me. Jeff, go into the lake, throw in your hook, and the first fish that you get on there, reel that baby in and open its mouth. And that's going to be payment for you and for I. Okay? Because actually the sons of the king are exempt, but we don't want to offend. So do this. The same God. Wow. That fish swallowed Jonah. Look at chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. I love that. <laughs> Psalm 130, the first four verses says this. Out of the depths I have cried to thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If thou, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who can stand? But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. I think that was in the heart of Jonah's repentance. Wow. Sometimes God will go to the extremes to get your attention. And when he does, what do you find? Forgiveness, mercy, love, life, joy. <clears throat> wow, freedom. The shackles are gone. That's what happens if we allow sin to, and get so far that God gives us, puts us on our back, and the only thing we do is look up and pray, God, with you there's forgiveness. Forgive me, O Lord. He said, pray to the Lord from God, to the Lord as God from the fish's belly. 
Again, he cried, I cried to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of hell, or Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. You know, Jesus was three days and three nights carrying our sins far away. And as we've talked more, sin causes that, that separation, that death. I don't know how much more that Jonah could have felt separated and, and in the throes of death and being in the belly of a fish. But Jesus was in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights, fulfilling the scapegoat for us that the priests would lay their hands on. Remember, there was two of them. They slain one, and they put the hand, his hands on the other. And by a viable man, the scripture says, this scapegoat went out into the wilderness, never be seen again, carrying our sins far away. So what Jesus did, Jonah was in the belly of the fish, just like Christ was in the belly of the earth. Wow. This is a miracle of sustainment, folks. This is nothing less than a miracle of sustainment. How could God... Do this. Man can expect no help apart from God. You know, I've heard all kinds of stories about this. I read a book one time about a skeptics, and they were saying, there is no way that in the belly of this fish, or in any fish, the gastral juices would literally eat. The acids of them would literally eat away. And yet Jonah was sustained. It's a miracle. I think that there's no more miracle in the Bible that calls for so much rebuke than those who say that is absolute nonsense. Three days? Where did he get his air? Where did he get his food? Where did he get his sustainment? He was, he, was, he was in the belly. He was full of these juices, these gases. It's a miracle of sustainment. You know, you and my life is a miracle of sustainment right now. We are saved from the penalty of sin. We are saved from the power of sin. And we'll be saved from the presence of sin. That's a miracle. And only Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, and risen again, fulfilling the types of Jonah and, and having this prophet that was so ridiculed. What do people do today? They ridicule Jesus Christ. They ridicule his death. They ridicule his resurrection. Exactly what they do about the prophet Jonah. They say, this is a bunch of bunk. Jesus didn't seem to think so. And I always wondered if Peter thought about Jonah when he, <laughs> when he reeled that fish in. I mean, that had to really, really uh, cause him to well, you know, well, you know it did because remember when he was in the boat and, and Jesus said, you know, row out a little ways and said, oh Lord, all night we've been fishing, caught nothing, but at your word I'll do it. He let his net down and, and it was on the right side of the boat. And he hauled in such a fish he couldn't haul it in. And what did Peter do? Yeah, we're going to get multiple money for this. No, he fell down. He said, depart from me for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. I don't understand this. That's what happens when God comes into our life. We don't, we are so taken up with the fact that the living God has transcended, become one like us, to live a life that we could not live and to take punishment for sin. And not only that, He ascends from the dead, He goes to His Father, and He sends the Holy Spirit. So now we not only can, you know, like. Like we used to think, oh wow, would it be great to sit and watch Jesus do all this? Thing? Now he's within us. He's living that life through us. We can touch him. We can feel him through our eyes of faith. Wherever we go, he goes. We'll never be parted from him. We will never hear the words, I'm going away. I'm going away for a while. You know, you're on your own. We will never, ever hear those words. Because Christ ascended, he rose from the dead. A sign that he attributes to this, this prophet. Wow, that's the miracle of our sustainment, of the sustaining power, I should say, of God. 
Look at verse 3. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surround me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, verse 4. Yet I will look again towards your holy temple. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus said on the cross. I'll tell you why he cried that. For you and for I. You know, as here, as Jonah says, Lord, I feel like you've forgotten me. But yet I will cry at your holy temple. The word is replete with the fact that Jesus said, The bulls of Bajans have surrounded me. Wicked men stick out their tongues with me. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But we know that through Genesis 22 and so forth, as Abraham went with Isaac, the father went with Jesus. But Jesus all of a sudden became sin for you and I. The sky grew dark and he cried out that cry that announces what sin is. Separation from God. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And he bowed his head in death and he went into the heart of the earth. Carrying your sins far away. There's one greater than Jonah here. He said, The waters, verse 5, surround me even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds are wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. You have brought up my life from the pit. O Lord my God. There's something in the Psalms in Psalm 31 that displays what must have been in the heart of Jonah. Psalm 31 verse 22 says, As for me, I said in my alarm, I am cut off from before thine eyes. Nevertheless, thou didst hear the voice of my supplications when I cried to thee. You know, one thing about God, when we cry to him from a true heart, he hears us. There is no crisis in the Christian life too great for God. None. That is the joy, that's the good news of not only coming to Christ for forgiveness of sin, but as, as a brother, a weaker brother that's caught in sin, I have good news for you, brother. You're a sinner. You're sinning now. Come to Christ with all your heart. He won't forsake you. You come to Him with a full and understanding heart of trust and a pure heart. Oh, Lord God, I have sinned. And there was nothing but forgiveness. You know, one of the greatest stories I think that's impacted my life, my grandfather actually told me this story way when I was a little kid. He was by no means a Christian. But I love this, the, the, uh, the story of the prodigal son. You know? Eh, I want to live my own life. I'm tired of this religion. I'm tired of this being here. I want to live my own life. I want to sow my wild oats. You know what I'm saying? I want, I want to do this. Am I still my dad's son? Yeah, my dad's son. But I want to go out on my own. And some of you do that now as a Christian. You want to go out and still have that little wild oat sowing of, of whatever it is, whether it's drinking or whatever it might be. And you go out and you go out. And what does God do? God starts making things really hard to the point where you're eating really bad stuff. And the point where you aren't even at a place where you eat the stuff that pigs would eat. And you finally come to your senses. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back to my father. I'm going to go back because even there I always had food. And I know what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to go back and I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against you in heaven. and I'm not worthy to be called your son. That's what sin does. It deteriorates your understanding of your position. So you are not worthy to be a son, and you're, and you're coming to him. And what does God do? God doesn't say, you know what, man, I'm really going to make you sweat. I'm way over on this end of heaven, and you've got a long way to go, pal. You better enjoy it. No, God's compassionate. He runs out to meet you. There is always forgiveness and always joy when we turn to God in repentance and trueness of heart. And he throws on the robe, and he sticks the ring on him, and you know... My son was lost. 
I thought he was dead, but now he's found. That's our God, man. You know, we don't deserve it. But that's how he is. And for Jonah, he prays that in the, in the, in the belly of a fish. Wow. I'm almost, I'm almost done here. Verse 70 says, When my soul fainted within me, I remember the Lord. My prayer went up to you in your holy temple. Verse 8, Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. There we go. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. You talk about um, you talk about power. Look at verse ten. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. You know, salvation is of the Lord. You know, this is a a, a running, uh, I believe, a prophecy of of God setting things straight that the world has seen it, although they won't acknowledge it or they won't admit it, but they will definitely see it at the end of this day of grace. That's what Psalm 98 simply says this, all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. God spoke and it was done. You know, one of the, one of the, I want to end with this, Psalm 33, I believe it is, 33 verse 9, don't quote me on that. I love it. Actually, we'll read Psalm 33 verse 8 and 9. If you want to write these down or underline it, I do. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. Verse 9, for He spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Wow. That's Psalm 33, 8, 9, man. That is absolutely wonderful. The Lord spoke to the fish. The fish accomplished what it was there for. Just like the fish that had the drachma that, that Peter caught and opened up. He accomplished what he, you know, God had prepared that fish to do just that. God had prepared as well to do just that. And whatever is happening in our life, God prepares beforehand. That's what I love about God. You know, as a good mother uh, or, you know, father, but usually what a mother would do, mother prepares for her little ones at a time. She knows when she's going to feed them, she prepares for them. She knows that she's going to give them a bath or whatever the case is, prepares for them, nourishes them. Has them in the forefront of her mind, you know, always. That's what God's doing to us every day. He prepares what we need. He prepares what we should do. He prepares to instruct us, to encourage us, to fill us with joy, to fill us with his promises. He promised us eternal life, you know. How will we not with his son give us all things? You know, it's not hard to see. Next week, uh, we'll get into the rest of this uh, wonderful book. Um, we've gotten halfway. We'll get into the next half next week. We're going to leave with the fact that the Lord spoke the fish, and, and out comes Jonah onto the dry land. Wow. Jonah was in death in the belly of the fish, and now he's on dry land and back to life. Now God is an amazing God, and I want to end tonight just with that, with that note. If your devotional life, if you will, I don't know if I really like that term, but if your life of, of, with God seems to be dry lately or you know, status quo or whatever uh, comes to your mind. Just remember that God is ever seeking our heart. He's ever seeking us. He never leaves us or forsakes us. 
He never fails us. Remember that bumper sticker I talked about quite often? It was back in the 80s. Uh, Feel far from God? Who moved? And that's a biblical precedent. The Bible says, we saw it last uh, Sunday, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hearts, you double sinners, you double-minded people. God is ever wanting to have fellowship and sweetness. He always wants to be there that we might behold his beauty. That's what he desires. Have you beheld the Lord's beauty lately? Have you told him you loved him lately? If you feel far from God for any reason, come to him and cry out to him and tell him, Lord, I feel far from you. I, I, I feel like the last preceding you know, days or whatever, I, I just don't feel right. I feel something's wrong. I know I'm not to go on my feelings. My relationship with Christ is based on fact, what he's done for me. He, it's, it's the faithfulness that he is towards me. That's my solidity. My whole life and fellowship is based on God and his righteousness and his sacrifice. The only thing that ruins my fellowship with God is my sin, is my lethargic attitude. If you have not stood in awe of God in prayer life lately, get into it tonight and ask Him, Lord, show me anew. If there's areas I need to confess, I want to confess them. If there's areas of darkness somewhere, show them to me and He will. That's one of the things that the Spirit does is, is convict of sin. We are His temple. My wife does not like spiders. Our house is our temple. I am not, if I can help it, going to allow spiders in the house. Why are we allowing sin in His temple? That's the problem. If you have a problem and you feel far from God, who moved? Cam, do you want to pray, please? Thank you, our Father in heaven, that you are faithful to pursue us with your loving kindness, your mercy, your grace. And we all pray that when you do show us your mercy and grace, that we would not turn our back on it or despise it, but simply humble ourselves give you thanks that you are a kind and merciful Father that loves us infinitely and eternally. We thank you for the blessings that you provide for us through Jesus Christ our Savior. Amen. For the Lord has spoken it. And as we said before, all traces of the Edomites, as far as we can tell, disappeared by about 70 A.D., by about the time of the desecration of the temple and thereabout. But nonetheless, this is what God said would happen. Wait till we get to Nahum and read about the downfall of Nineveh, one of the most bloodiest, cruel civilizations ever. Is it too bloody and cruel for God? It's nothing for God. It's stubble for God. This world has not... Again, this world's going out of control for those that don't know God. For us that know God, it's perfectly going exactly the way God had intended. He's in control of everything. That should bring so much comfort. Look at verse 19. The south shall possess the mountains of Edom. The south, I love that. The Negev in some translations. It's the south. It's much like an area, if you look again, like we said last week, the map of the United States, how Texas kind of goes down. It's the south end. The Negev was an area that of, of great importance for Kadesh Barnea, for example. And the spies went up to Kadesh Barnea and looked at, out at the land, and they came back and so on and so forth. But what I think is the south, again, verse 19, shall possess... The mountains of Esau and the lowland shall possess Philistia. That's right now. You know where that land Philistia, uh, the uh, uh, Gaza Strip, and that area in there. They shall possess the fields of Ephraim. 
the fields of Samaria. Benjamin shall possess Galilee. This is absolute victory. And this is going back. We can take these promises all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 15, 17, and so forth. They're going to possess that land that God had promised to Abraham. And the captives of this host of the children of Israel, verse 20, shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. The captives of Jerusalem who are in Shephard shall possess the cities of the south. Verse 21, Then saviors, or deliverers, shall come to Mount Zion to judge the mountains of Esau. And I love the way that Obadiah ends his prediction or his prophecy. And the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Just as God in all of, of history, all of time, from the time that you were in him before the foundation of the world till, the, till all eternity, where God is, we are going to be. Where God is, his people is going to be. They're the apple of his eye. And that's going to be the wonderment of the earth. Can you imagine? These scriptures will be around. Can you imagine at, at, at the, the millennium kingdom and everything that's gone on, people pick up God's word and read the prophets and read, read what the prophets say. And they're going, Lord God, you did exactly what you, were, what you said you were going to do. You're so faithful. God, forgive me for the time I've wasted. And not looking at the word of God, and it is true. Every single word of it is true. We don't have time for the false teachers. We don't have time for the false prophets. We have time only for those that are going to take God's word as what it is. Truth Every single word of it is truth. I'll end with what I've written in my Bible, and I believe this. Though it does not seem like it now, my God will reign over all the earth. Cam, do you want to pray for this? Thank you, Father, heaven, for preserving these writings miraculously by prophets. We look back, we see that what they have spoken was fulfilled and is being fulfilled, and in the future will be fulfilled mm. because of your faithfulness to your, to your children. We thank you for the freedom to study your word and the truth of it.